Welcome to the Salt Lake Christian Center podcast. We're a network of language churches worshiping together as one. It is our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. Now, join us for one of our weekly sermons. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter number 11. Last um, fall or last spring, last summer, last winter, I'm not sure it was. Um, I spent some time uh, in Idaho at uh, Lorna Thompson's cabin up there that they let me spend a few days. And uh, I was alone just praying and seeking the Lord um, about direction for Salt Lake Christian Center. And when I left there, I didn't feel any direction. Specifically, I think God knew why, right? And, but there was, there was an event that happened while I was there that, that I, want, I want to share with you. And uh, she, has, she has several bookshelves that are there full of uh, books. And I brought several books with me, my iPad, my Kindle, and on her shelf, I saw the name of one of my favorite authors. And I did not uh, recognize the title of the book. And that author's name is Jerry Sitzer. And Jerry Sitzer is the author of the devotional book that I've told you about several times, uh, Water from a Deep Well. And I'm on my third pass through that book devotionally. And he also wrote another book along the same lines that I was going through last year as a devotional book. And that was called Resilient Faith. And what both of those books are about is ancient Christianity. And the water from a deep well is a series of devotional thoughts that come from as far back as the second century AD of Christian leaders and ministers. And it, it is such a, a wonderful devotional. And uh, then I saw his book at the beginning of last year called Resilient Faith. Jerry Sitzer is, a, is an historian and teaches, a, uh, teaches at the university level history. And resilient faith is a, a thesis, so to speak, of church history and how the church survived. I had no idea what we were going to go through a year ago. And, uh, but reading that, and I'm still in that, I haven't finished it yet. Um, he talks about the, the church, the body of Christ, and from the, the martyrs in the second century and the things that they said and did and talks about the churches uh, from Rome and in the Roman Empire and how this church went from 120 in an upper room 
to 325 or 325 AD when they called the Council of Nicaea because it had become the church, the, the largest church in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had converted to Christianity. And through that time, in uh, before uh, Constantine, it talked about the churches and in the persecution and in the pandemics, how they survived and the things that they did to survive. And at some point, we will go through that book somehow. You will hear it in my messages in the future and have in the past. Uh, anyway, I was going through those two books and I looked down on one of Lorna's bookshelves and I saw Jerry Sitzer and I didn't recognize the name of the book. And so I picked up the book and the, it, it's called A Grace Disguised. How the soul grows through loss. And I thought just because it was Jerry Sitzer, I wasn't feeling any, any particular reason to read that book, but just because it was Jerry Sitzer, then I sat down, put the other books aside, and started reading that book. And over the next several days, that was my devotional time, weeping time, broken time. I had no idea Jerry Sitzer's story. As a university historian, his mother-in-law was living with them and his daughter had a desire to go to one of the Indian reservations and celebrate uh, with them. And Jerry had to stay, uh, but he, wa he wanted to go. And so he sent his wife, his mother-in-law, and his daughter ahead of him. And he was going to come the next morning. On that trip, a drunk driver crossed the median and hit his wife's car head on. And instantly, he lost three generations. His wife was killed, his daughter was killed, and his mother-in-law was killed. And he goes through the process of the police calling and him getting in his car and driving to the accident scene. The only person that survived that, all, that accident was the drunk driver. And he walks through this process, the process that his other son and daughter had to go through as they walk through together this incredible, disastrous change of life. In case you didn't know by now, life is full of detours. 
Life is full of unexpected destinations. Life is full of discouragements. Life is full of disappointments. Life is full of disasters. There are some disasters that we create ourselves and there are disasters that come not because of what we've done, because of injustice. And it's even getting worse. And as I read through Jerry Sitzer's book, I thought of a dear friend of mine, Wayne Matthews, who lost a son working with Teen Challenge in Los Angeles at 25 years old. And I thought of my sister, whose daughter was on the way as a leader in uh, the youth group in Montana when she was killed at 22 years old. I remember those phone calls and the discouragement, the disappointment, the anger. And Jerry walks us through that process. You see, when we talk about faith, many times we're talking about faith to move mountains. We're talking about faith for the miraculous. We're talking about faith to do miracles. But I will tell you this morning, those disappointments and detours and discouragements will take more faith to walk through than if you could perform a miracle. We have been in studying the first chapter of Deuteronomy and the five things that God says to them in the 29th through the 33rd verse in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And we've walked through those processes that he tells them to look at the promised land, to see the promised land, and go forward. He said, you've been circling this mountain long enough, now go forward. And then he tells them to look up for context, because he says, God is going to go with you. He's going to be with you. And we talked about how it's important for us in our Christian life to look forward. There needs to be a destination. There has to be a destination out there that we keep our eyes looking forward out there. But also while we're looking out there, we need to look up for context. And the context of our journey and the context of our journey needs to be two things. Number one, Jesus is going to return. I was sitting with Willie and Terry uh, Wilson this past week, talking to him about helping us out with the food distribution. And Willie said, Pastor Ray, do you think this is the time that Jesus is coming back? Well, I don't know. But, but I'll tell you what I told her. If this isn't the time, I believe the time will look like this. Because I could very clear, we could very clearly see. And it's time that what Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, he says, look up. When you see all of these things taking place, look up. And the second thing he told us to remember is that all of this is going to be burned up. All of this is going away. There's nothing going to survive. And then a couple of weeks ago, 
We talked about not only looking forward and looking up, but looking out. Looking out for our, our purpose. Our purpose is to win the lost and glorify God. That is our purpose. And so, so as, we've, as we've done that then, we come then to the fourth this morning. And uh, let's read again Deuteronomy chapter 1. You, you can stay in Hebrews chapter 11. And verses 29 and 30, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. He's saying to you this morning, do not be in dread or afraid. Let me tell you again, do not be in dread or afraid. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. And then he makes a statement. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You see, there is a pattern in the word. And that pattern in the word is in the Old Testament, but it also goes to the New Testament. That when the church came up against difficulties, when the people of God came up against difficulties, God most of the time told them to look back. Because looking back would give you perspective. And so he's telling them, quit circling this mountain, go to the promised land, keep focused on the promised land. But when these things then begin to happen, take a few moments and look back. I split the Red Sea. I made the waters of Meribah sweet. I fed you. I guided you. I protected you. And so there comes a time when you need to look back. Now the problem is that too many times the church looks back because they've been idolizing it. Boy, if it could just happen like, like it used to happen. I talked to my dad yesterday and he said the same thing he says for the past two years. As soon as he answers the phone. I don't know what to do with these phones. I can't. I said, Dad, I can't be, get, get a hold of you. I tried to call you. I don't know what I'm going to do with these phones. I just can't handle these phones. So took him down to the Verizon. A friend of mine took him down to the, her Verizon. And he says, well, I need something easier. It's a flip phone, okay? And it's a, what are those gerbil, frog, some, something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure what it is, but it's called a certain phone with big numbers. And he tells the guy at Verizon, he says, I need something more simple. And the guy at Verizon looks and says, Mr. Smith, there isn't anything more simple than this. So what he means by simple is, I need sitting on my table, a telephone that's attached with a cord that when it rings, I can pick it up. And when I want to dial out, I can punch numbers or dial out. That's what he means by being simple. There are times when we're like that, that we want to look back to idolize what happened 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. 
If that's the reason for looking back, then Paul says, don't look back. Look forward. Look ahead to the prize of your calling. But there are times in your calling, there are times in your service where there is discouragement and depression and disappointment and disaster and detours and unexpected destinations. And that's when he says, look back. Sorry, just kind of, <laughs> they didn't turn in here, did they? Okay. Looking back, so let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Every time that there is an occasion that seems insurmountable, Hebrews chapter 11 comes to mind. Let's look at it. It starts out this way by saying, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Keep looking ahead. By faith look ahead at the destination. And then he gives this list. And he gives a list of faithful men and women from the past. He mentions Abel. He mentions Enoch. He mentions Noah. He mentions Abraham. He mentions Sarah. He mentions Isaac. He mentions Jacob. He mentions Joseph. He mentions Moses. And he mentions Rahab. And said those are examples of faith. Abel did things right. He worshiped God in the right way. His theology was right. And he experienced what scholars believe is an actual visitation of Jesus at his sacrifice. Now that's a lot of faith. The problem is, is the next day he's out walking in the field and his brother is jealous of him. And because of his experience, he's killed by his own brother. He mentions Enoch, how Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him for 300 years. He mentions Noah and how God told Noah to build an ark. Now, to us, we understand that, but put yourself in Noah's shoes. The promise was at least 100 years off. But he said, I want you to start building the ark now. And he did. He went through the ridicule. Abraham 
Abraham receives a word from the Lord. In fact, Abraham hears from God that says, leave your family, go to a place. I'm going to show you. Where am I going? I don't know where I'm going. Just go. I'll show you when you get there. And Abraham, God also tells him, I'm going to give you a son. And this son is going to be a father of multitudes. And so he just starts out walking. And it is down the road. And so 20 years later, God shows up to him in a way like he showed up to Abel in Genesis chapter 15 and has a personal connection with God. Do you realize that Abraham only heard from God that we know of that are printed in the Bible every 25 to 40 years? Wow. He mentions Sarah. Who was Sarah? Sarah was the wife of Abraham that he wanted, that Abraham wanted the son to come from. And the uh, theophany of Jesus shows up at Sarah's tent, at Abraham's tent, with two angels. And he says to her, this time next year, you will have a child. <laughs> but before that, Sarah decides, because God has given this promise to Abraham, that maybe it's to... Um, to Sarah, so Sarah said, maybe, it's, maybe I need to make this happen. And so she gives her handmaid to Abraham and says, you have a son through my handmaiden. And Abraham says, okay. <laughs> and Sarah finds out, Sarah means laughter. And Isaac, Isaac tells his sons a future blessing. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he goes to Egypt. And in his dying days, he prays over Ephraim and Manasseh. God has caused me to forget and God has made me fruitful. And then he says, I want you to carry my bones with you when you go back to our land. And, we, and he talks of Joseph. We know what happens to Joseph. Joseph has a dream and he tells everybody his dream. And that dream is that he is going to be a ruler. And then all of a sudden, Joseph finds himself in prison. And you can hear him saying, didn't see that coming. Didn't see that coming. Moses, Moses is told of God to go back to Egypt and help them get out of their prison or get out of the, the chains of slavery in Egypt. And, and Moses has this conversation with God and part of the conversation with God is that, God, how do I know? How do I know? Tell me how I, I want a sign. I want a sign. I want you to show me how I'm going to know that it's actually you talking to me. 
And here's the sign that God gives him. You will know it's me when you bring the children of Israel back to this mountain and worship me, then you will know I'm talking to you. <laughs> Hello? That's the sign? I want a sign right now. But we know there was the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the waters of Meribah, all of, the, all of the problems of their going across the desert. Paul says, I have a desire to preach in Rome. I want to go to Rome. That's where I want to preach. I want to preach in Rome. And yet God prevents him from going and when he eventually ends up there, he ends up there in the custody of the Roman government and in chains and in prison. Didn't see that coming. God, I trusted you. You're going you're gonna to take me to Rome. That's what I believe. You're going to take me to Rome. He just didn't understand that he was going to take him to Rome at the expense of the Roman government. Now, look at verse number 13 in Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith. Did you hear that? All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised. They all died. They had the promise. They trusted in the promise. They looked forward to the promise. But they died not seeing the promise. But they died in faith. Stick with me. Not having received the promise, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So the writer of Hebrews tells us, and then we come down to the 32nd verse in Hebrews chapter 11. And what shall more I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped of the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. That's the kind of faith I want to have. But he doesn't stop there. 
He goes on and says that um, others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And then listen to this next phrase. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let me give you three things that Paul says that if you're going through a time of discouragement, depression, you're believing in a promise that God has given you, you're trusting in that promise, First, look at that promise as the destination, and it may be afar off. It may be out there. And you don't know, like Joseph, what happens from the time you're a young man and you get a dream, and you tell your brothers your dream, <laughs> and they get jealous. And you spend 14 years in prison. But even in prison, Joseph knew the promise. And he kept looking forward. You have to keep looking at it. You have to keep going for it. Whatever that destination is. Whatever that promise God's given. But the second thing is, you need to acknowledge Worship team, come back, would you please? We need to acknowledge this is not our home. I stood at the bedside of a dying man just a couple of weeks, just a couple of days ago. The first time I've been able to go into a hospital room in 10 months. And his family called and asked, that I would be there so masked up and sanitized up I went and stood with him as he went into eternity his brother who was a friend of mine looked at me and said life is so fragile the day before that he went in for a fairly simple operation and now he was laying there while they turned off the machines. I said, you're right. I have no idea what light holds. But I know one thing. I'm not going to get attached here. I want to make sure that my wealth is not only attached here, but attached there. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. And so we look afar off for that destination, that there is that destination. And acknowledging that we are exiles, we are pilgrims. This is not my home. The old song said, this is not my home, I'm just traveling through. 
My hope is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the third thing he said is, God has something better. If the promise doesn't happen right now, God has something better. So keep looking forward to the destination. Keep looking up because he could be coming. Keep looking out and working for him. But remember, remember, it's out there and we're not attached here. We need to acknowledge that we are exiles looking for a city. And it's not a city built by hands. It's a city that Revelation chapter 21 tells us about. We are exiles in a land that is looking for a bride. We are the bridegroom. And we're looking for when he comes back as the bride. We are exiles looking for a temple. And it's not the third temple in Israel. We're looking for a temple that is not made with man's hands. But it's Messiah's temple when he comes back and straightens everything out. And we can go into his temple and worship him just like we are today. We're also looking for a garden. A garden of Eden where there is no death. There's no crying. There's no tears. There's no disappointment. There's no discouragement. There's no sickness. There's no pain. But we're looking forward to that and acknowledging. I don't want to stay here. Revelation chapter 21. Stand with me if you're here. In the audience, you're welcome to stand too. Yesterday I was going through some pictures and went through some pictures of an old uh, Israel trip. It was our Israel trip in 2007. And on that trip, we were at the top of the Mount of Olives and they have this amphitheater on the top of the Mount of Olives. And you can stand there or sit there and they take pictures of the team. And as I was looking at this picture in 2007, there were over 70 people a part of that. In fact, it was Linfield Crowder's last trip and one of my dad's last trips. And we were standing there worshiping with the Mount of Olives on the top of the Mount of Olives and in front of us is the Temple Mount, which has the Dome of the Rock. And Sometimes we can't, when we go there, you can't even go and, and see it. But we know what that means. And we had had my dad and Linfield Crowder explain all of these things to us and the, and the millennial temple that God's going to build there and, it's, and how, it, you know, he will be the light. And we're standing there worshiping. And all of a sudden, up in back was this elderly pastor and he had had a struggle going through with us and getting up the stairs and taking the trip and he's sitting there 
And then all of a sudden he stands up and we're just worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden God gave him his voice back, his preaching voice back, this kind of voice. And he quoted this scripture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I see it from afar. I wish it was here. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, John, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is finished. Even more than that, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from a spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. Well, hallelujah. That's a far off. That's the bride. That's the city. That's the homeland. That's why he says keep perspective. Keep perspective by looking back and see what God's done in the past. And keep looking up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're standing here this morning at home, you're going through a trial. Discouragement, disappointment. Let this message ring in your ears. That whatever that disappointment is, whatever that discouragement, whatever, whatever it is that you're walking through, that depression you're walking through, trying to forgive someone who, who sexually violated you, trying to walk through all of that. Listen to this verse. It's out there. There is a destination. There is a promise. But there's also a place here where you can look back in your own life and see the miracles that God has done in your life. And remember, this is not my home. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on Facebook Live. We'll see you next week. If you're here, let's just worship Him for a minute. Let's worship Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, we thank you.
I'll be happy to put my mask on. Prayer team, come forward. We'll pray with you. You're going through a time of discouragement, whatever that may be, and you need the Spirit of God to touch you. We'll pray with you. You're welcome to come forward.